0: Our scripture reading today is the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If, that, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Please be seated. begin with a word of prayer.
1: Father, we're grateful for the time that we have come to this place to worship You and to experience Your love as a family and to be reminded of Your love through Your Word and to express our love to You in song and in worship. It's our prayer, Father, that now as we press our mind into your word, that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear in order for us to deepen as disciples of your Son Jesus in this world, in this life. To this end, we pray it with all of our heart and ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is no shortage of hate or hate crimes in our country. I want to read to you sort of an extended quote from uh, an article entitled The Geography of Hate. Richard Florida writes, Since 2000, the number of organized hate groups from white nationalists, neo-Nazis, and racist skinheads to border vigilantes and black separatist organizations has climbed by more than 50%, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Their rise has been fueled by growing anxiety over jobs, immigration, racial and ethnic diversity, the election of Barack Obama as America's first black president, and the lingering economic crisis. Most of them merely espouse violent theories. Some of them are stockpiling weapons and actively planning attacks. The SPLC maintains a detailed database on hate groups culled from websites and publications, citizen and law enforcement reports, field sources, and news reports. It defines hate groups as organizations and associations that have beliefs or practices that attack or malign an entire class of people, typically for their immutable, that is, their unchangeable characteristics. End of quote. One of the most recent in memory... The murder of nine black Christians on the evening of June 17th at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, Charleston, South Carolina. The suspect confessed to committing the shooting in hopes of igniting a race war. You know as well as I, social media erupted with comments and opinions For a long time, in our country, like every other country in the world, is peopled by the thoughtful and the thoughtless. But there was one statement, a question really, that haunted me a bit. The first time I read it, it came from a very uh, young, very bright black woman I baptized many years ago who in reading the events of June 17th in Charleston, South Carolina, voiced a question deep in her soul that resonated deep in her soul and was repeated by lots of others. The question, what do I tell my children? I want to take a few minutes this morning to address that question about racism specifically and evil in the world in general as disciples of as a disciple of Jesus two disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. You know the temptation and perhaps the easy thing to do would be to rail against the hate and to rail against the crime which is the the normal feeling as a disciple of Jesus and being regenerated by the Holy Spirit and transformed into the likeness of Jesus, we are going to hate more and more and more these kinds of of, of happenings and events not only in our country, but in the entire world. But here's the thing. Any 10-year-old can tell you what's happening in the world. My job this morning and our task this, this morning is to know this. What is God doing about it? That's the question. So, four things this morning as we consider the world as thus, thus have we made it. Don't be surprised. Disavow the humanistic optimism, disseminate the truth, and decide to love. Number one, don't be taken by surprise. It's critical that we hear and we obey the Bible's admonition to not live unaware of the capacities and the occasions of evil to visit our lives and to bring suffering and grief into our lives. Peter, the apostle, writing in the first century to the church of the first century that was not this church that he's writing to is not observing in some disengaged way the misery and uh, that's out there in the general populace, but he's writing to a church that is engaging it and facing it head on. Peter knew that part of the poise of the church and the buoyancy of the church in facing whatever it confronted in the culture that it found itself was in being prepared. 1 Peter chapter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Disciples of Jesus, us, we have a peculiar and a specific worldview. We believe that that the world is a fallen place and that there is no cure for that fallen nature except in the grace and the power of God through the gospel of Jesus. I mean, what is it that Jesus taught us to pray on a daily basis? Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. What was it that Jesus was accomplishing on the cross? Galatians chapter 1, He gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Creation is stunningly beautiful. The world, as we we see the landscape and and the, the seasons and the setting of the sun and the rising of the sun, stunningly beautiful, but creation is also fallen and populated by fallen human beings. Which means that we will experience the evil. We will experience the evil. And we must not be taken by surprise. This is part of our worldview, That the world is thus. And we have been called to live a certain way in it. The first thing that we must do is disavow the humanistic optimism. And it means to be realistic about what's happening among human beings. This is the, the, the faith and humans getting better. That's the humanistic optimism. The further we go, the more we're educated, the better the technology, the more that we all have all of these different kinds of things. That means we're getting better. We're making progress. And then when someone says, in light of the tragedy, things like that just don't happen today. It's an appeal to this assumed doctrine of progress. That human beings, as we march through time and space and history and experience our lives together, that somehow we are becoming less and less and less fallen. We think that we're getting better, even though, as I read in the beginning article, that quote, that since 2000, uh, and this article was written in 2011, since 2000, hate groups in this country alone have risen by 50%. Secular humans do not have an answer for the doctrine of progress in the shadow of Auschwitz and Buchenwald. There is not an acceptance of the fact that being able to build a better microwave is different from being able to build a better human heart. And when I look around at what's going on in around the world, I do not see human progress, but what I see is the need for the gospel is greater than we can imagine. And let's be clear, we need to be saved. We need to be forgiven of our sin. But we also need to be transformed. For us to believe that the gospel is this one-dimensional, one-off event by which we are forgiven of our sins and neglect that other side of the coin, which is we are transformed and, and conformed to the image of Jesus. And not only that, but He calls us as people in transformation into the likeness of Jesus, into partnership in the human project, we have sold the Gospel short. It's naive to think that we will change culture through laws. Culture is changed when the human heart is changed. And then number three, we disseminate the truth. We speak the truth about all human beings. And you know what that is? human beings are made in the image of, say it, God. That is one of the earliest truths communicated in the Bible. The 27th verse of the Bible. God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Human worth is not determined by sports achievement, by education, by money, or by another human being. Human worth and dignity is bestowed by our Creator. And that is what we teach our children. And what we live before them is a developing greater love. Let there be no doubt, church. Love is the highest virtue of Christian character. Spend the rest of your Sunday pondering these verses. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13. Now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Say it. Love. And when the Holy Spirit enters your life, and not only do you become adopted as a child of God, but that Spirit begins to generate in you some changes and begins to work on your life. One of the foremost attributes is love. Galatians 5 verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is, say it, love. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37, Jesus is asked by some guys that I think are probably pretty interested in the the answer to the question. They go, when you boil it down, all of those laws, all of that Old Testament, all of that stuff, Jesus, what does it boil down to? Can you crystallize it for us? And He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Memorize today First John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because He first loved us. Let's say that together. We love because He first loved us. Let's say it again. We love because He first loved us. Think about the implication of that verse. The greater our knowledge of God's love for us is the greater our capacity to love others. One of the greatest teachings on the love of God is found over in the teachings of Jesus in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is in mixed company, but the company is not mixing very well. There are those there at this, this dinner that are grumbling about the presence of the people that they find sort of disgusting. That they find a little unsavory. And Jesus knows what's going on inside of their heart, and so He, has, he asks the question, uh, do you fellas have, have time for three short stories? Now, we know these stories because we've heard them all our life. But these Pharisees and tax collectors are hearing them for the very first time. Story number one, shepherd gets back to the sheep pen in the evening, discovers one sheep is missing. Only 99 are accounted for out of the 100. He leaves those sheep, the 99, goes and finds the one. When he finds it, he doesn't beat it but brings it home, calls all his neighbors together, celebrates the fact that this little sheep that was lost has been found and brought home before something terrible happened to it. Story number two. Woman has uh, discovered that she's lost one of her ten gold coins, dismantles the entire house to find it. Why? We're not really told, but probably this is all that she has to live on. She finds it, invites all the ladies from the neighborhood over for tea and sponge cake to celebrate the finding of the coin. Story number three. A man has two sons. Youngest asks the father for the full inheritance before the father even dies. I mean, you can imagine what kind of a huge insult that is. And for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't tell us, the man gives the inheritance to the son. Son goes off, blows the money on a lot of nasty, nasty stuff. It's a good Jewish boy now having to work with swine because he's run out of money. No jobs left. He has to take that job. And just as this boy is about to go under and become like a pig because he's eating the pig food, he comes to his senses. And he goes home. His father sees him, runs down the driveway, tackles him and kisses him and kisses him and kisses him, just embarrasses the boy to no end and then throws a party because, as he says, my boy who was lost has now come home. Big question. Why these stories back to back to back to back? The answer, emphasis. Something that really matters to someone, it's lost and then it's found. And what Jesus is trying to illustrate and to get them to see in the imagination of their mind is that there is a love in heaven that searches every day, every second for people. And you know, one of the things that we never talk about in these three stories is one of the things that they all have in common. There's a celebration. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more, say it, rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know we say that a lot. You now somebody gets baptized, we bring them down here on the stage. just imagine there's a there's a party in heaven just for you today. But do we ever think about that? 10,000 angels celebrating having a party, Ever wonder what it looks like when angels have a party? I wonder if it's like some of the parties that that I've been to or or have been a part of. You know, you're invited to a party, you hear people commenting on how the cake is pretty, but it's a little dry. Punch a little watered down, but I'm happy to be here because I didn't have anything else to do. Where's that little guy with that tray with those little sausages on it? I don't think it's that kind of party in heaven. I think it's a homecoming party. I want you for the next 45 seconds to watch this video up on the screen.
0: Hi, my name is Hannah Eschick. I'm 10 years old, and I go to Randolph Elementary School. My dad, Master Sergeant Joe Myers, is in Iraq right now. it's
1: a homecoming party I don't know about you but all of the homecomings I've ever been a part of have been a lot of tears men and women cry when their children come home Whatever the reason. But can you imagine the day you came home to God the Father and there were 10,000 angels whose faces looked like that little girl that teared up in happiness and stood in line to hug your neck and to welcome you home. Every human being, my friends, in your field of vision, matters to God regardless of the color of their skin. Every human being matters to God and therefore should matter to us. So time now for a little personal inventory. Who do you hate? I mean, you really can't stand them. This is a person when... In fact, if we had the technology to be able to pull out the person that you hate, their face, and flash it up on the screen, this is the face we would all see. Who would that be? Who is a person that you just really cannot stand? L.A. Laker fan? How about slow drivers? How about Democrats? Or Republicans? Republicans? Do you hate welfare queens? Do you hate rich people? How about people of different skin color? Or do you just hate racists? You know, when you meditate on the love of God, you realize that you have to give up hating people. And you know what? That's a really big day in your life when you decide to give up hating people. And as a disciple of Jesus, you lose the reasons to hate people. And what we bring into the world that is filled with hate, that is filled with all kinds of nonsense, that dismantle people and bring suffering, what we bring is a greater love. One of the things that Martin Luther King Jr. said in 1958 in a sermon, Find it in a little book called The Testament of Hope. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Why do the 10,000 angels weep when A person comes to their senses. Why do 10,000 angels weep when somebody accepts the grace that God offers in His Son? Why why do 10,000 angels weep when a person comes home? It's because 10,000 angels were held back so that the Christ and the cross and the death and the resurrection could be a reality. And as we go out into this world filled with all of its fallenness, we speak the truth. Every human being made in the image of God. And there has never been a time greater than the time that we live in right now where the Gospel is needed to change lives. Where there is a love that is generated by the knowledge of God that erupts out of our own hearts is brought to bear on our culture. And to stand up For those that are made in the image of God. And to speak the truth of the Gospel to every person. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And perhaps you've never come to your senses when it comes to giving your life to God in such a way that That you find not just forgiveness, but you find the ability to transform your life. And not just transform your life, but you find a new purpose for it. It's to live in in such a way every day that people get to see the beauty of the King in you. And to see that the way of hate is destructive. To see that the way of hate is, is, is hurtful. And it mutes our hearts and it mutes our abilities to to, to live and to breathe and to experience life the way that God has created us to live in an abundant kind of life. And then as you come to Him, you begin to see the scales dropping off of your eyes in such a way that you see people differently. And you see the world differently because you see God in it. You see God in it. And if that describes you this morning... We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. We want you to come and talk to these men as we stand and sing about the beauty and the amazing, wondrous love of Jesus. Let's stand and praise Him oh, together. wonderful
0: Savior is Jesus, my Lord.